Hey guys, and welcome to the Abundance Alchemist podcast. I'm Caitlin Dorsey, an Abundance Alchemist, animal lover, trauma survivor to thriver, mindset expert, self-love junkie, and author. This is the place to be to grab those powerful tools, ideas, and inspiration to make lasting changes in yourself and your life. No more waiting, my friends, because it's time to show up unapologetically, radiate that confidence, and create a life you absolutely love. Time to buckle up and dive on in. Hello, my high-vibing friends. I'm so excited you're here today and beyond excited to introduce uh, Doug Cartwright to you guys today. Um, So Doug is a speaker, author, and CEO and founder of The Daily Shifts, an online company dedicated to inspiring lasting transformation of the mind, body, and soul. The Daily Shift was born from Doug's personal journey and introspection and healing. Um, He also has an incredible book out, which we're going to dive into. Um, It's called Holy Shit, We're Alive. And I'm super excited about it because it talks about um, really his journey. And I, he has kind of a little blurb in the book about just what it goes into. And it was really powerful. So I want to just read it really quick and then we'll dive in with Doug. Um, So it says, participating in psychedelic ceremonies with shamans from the Amazon, diving headfirst into rituals at Burning Man, flying across the world to work with spiritual gurus in Bali. These were never on Doug Cartwright's radar as must-have experiences, but when you're a 20-something ex-Mormon, ex-millionaire, living deeply unfulfilled after doing everything you were supposed to do, you start searching for a normal reality far from your original version. This book is Doug's story, a psychedelic journey into meditation, silent retreats, astrophysics, neuro science, philosophy, and all forms of self-healing. It's how he found the purpose of life, realizing his mistakes, and built a new reality. Doug's story is how he shifted his perspective on life and its intention, or I'm sorry, um, and it's how you can learn to shift yours. In Holy Shit, We're Alive, Doug shows you how to live your intent, live with intention, trust yourself, and show up every day for a meaningful life. You'll learn mind-blowing facts and important clues to understand your experience and unique contributions. Self-love can be your superpower. No matter who you are or where you've been, this book gives you permission and motivation to do the work and throw out the garbage holding you back so you too can maximize your human experience. Dang. It is a lot, but I (laughs) felt like it was so worth it. When I read that, I was like, I cannot wait to have Doug on um, the podcast. I think that so much of that I'm so curious about. Um, And to be honest, that piece where it says self-love can be your superpower and giving yourself permission Mm. that hooked me. Um, I think that's definitely something that is powerful and incredible. So welcome to the show. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, So we'll just kind of dive in. If you want to tell us about just you, I guess we'll start there. Yeah. So I am longtime entrepreneur recently transitioned into it's so weird because I don't like to call it like the self-help space, even though that's what right. it is, because that word is gimmicky. And I don't like, you know, a lot of like these life coaches that are kind mm-hmm. of out there. It kind of seems, but really what I realized it, you know, there's a big difference in my life where I shifted where so much of us as, as humans, we feel like we need more, we need to add to our lives. I need to get the better body. I need to get more money. I need to get a nicer car. I need to get you know, cooler up. I need to go on more trips, right? right? And we think that the way we enhance our life is through addition. Mm-hmm. And what I realized where true peace, true serenity, true happiness, true calm comes is actually by distra- uh, elimination, wow. right? By removing the blockages that are holding us back. And so, you know, I like to call it human development program mm-hmm. when really it's, you know, You don't need a new meditation practice or a new gratitude practice or a new manifestation thing. It's like, let's go pull out the weeds first 
Mm-hmm. Right. Let's go pull out the blockages. Let's go pull out the trauma that's holding us back. And then once we do that, right, then we can dive into these self self love practices. But a lot of people think that the, the the way to feel okay inside, the way to get better, the way to finally be living in a enriching life is by adding when really it's like, let's, let's go clean out the gutters first. And a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And so hopefully, you know, the main intention of my book is really just to inspire people. It's like, Hey, it's time to do some personal work. Yeah. I love that. I think that's so incredibly powerful because it's so true. I mean, we don't have the space if we've got all of this kind of gunk in our lives that we're not dealing with. We don't, I don't think people understand that. Like you don't even have the energetic space to bring in anything new, right? Like you're so consumed with what's going on. You get so bogged down with like these traumas and things that you just keep trying to push down. But the reality is like, they're there, they're on the surface. You're going to have to deal with them. And they're also like, I always say, I like to make people uncomfortable because I think the discomfort grows. I think that, Mm -hmm. you know, when we move through and actually process that stuff, that's when the excitement happens in life because you are, like you said, kind of eliminating these blocks and then allowing yourself to move into like what you already know. We are, we're so external and we look for stuff so much outside ourselves. So I really like that. Um, that's kind of what you're, what you're doing and inspiring people to do. Dan, I think it was a big, a big, uh, eye-opening moment for me was when I realized that I actually had a trauma, right? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in, you know, in Utah in a, you know, conservative, Mormon household um, in like the East bench of Utah where everyone is predominantly white and it's very much like a bubble. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't aware of, you know, the word trauma or therapy or self-healing wasn't just, it wasn't part of life. It wasn't in the vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of did everything I was supposed to growing up, like everything you're told to. I went to college and I got a degree and, um, and then I started a job and I actually started a working in a sales company when I was 20. Wow. And it was a hundred percent commission based mm-hmm. and I absolutely killed it. Like I, I became obsessed with it and became a mm-hmm. phenomenal sales uh, salesman Then became a sales leader, then became a sales trainer and then got equity in the company that I was working for yeah. and was making really, really great money. But to, to tie it back, what, what was really motivating me to be so successful was, um, I was trying to heal a story that I was telling about myself and that the stories we tell ourselves literally guide our lives. Mm-hmm. And when I was six years old, um, I was, I was, I was the fat kid growing up mm-hmm. and, um, at least I was told that, right. It was a story I told myself when I was six in the recess on the playground, there was a, another second grader who actually made fun of me and called me the fat mm-hmm. kid. And that was kind of like the first time where I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm the fat kid. And then and the way I internalized it was because I'm fat, right. Something must be wrong with me. And because something's wrong with me, I I'm not worthy of love and I don't love myself. And so as I got older into junior high and high school, I was still over, was overweight. And because I was the fat kid, that meant that you could see that and you could see that I was broken and you could see something was wrong with me. And because of that, I then had to prove to you right. And sh- prove my validation of why I'm valuable. And so in junior high, I took on roles of being the nice kid or the funny kid or being really, you know, trying to be popular to fill this void of that. I'm not enough. Um, and obviously I'm not consciously having these conversations in my head, but this yeah. is just the way I'm acting. Mm-hmm. And so I'm um, thinking I was a fact in my whole life. And when I finally got into my twenties and started making money, mm-hmm. it was the first time in my life where I actually had an asset. 
So my whole life, I'm trying to prove myself, prove myself, prove myself. I'm going to be captain of the football team and student body vice president in high school. And like trying to show everyone like, look, I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of love. Mm -hmm. And it never really hit. And then all of a sudden my early twenties, you know, I started making a ton of money. By the time I was 24, I made a million dollars and I spent all of it. I just blew it all because I was trying to buy people's love. So literally like early two thousands, it was like, I'd be on a dating app. I'd be on like on Tinder. I'd match with a girl and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to pick you on a date. And I pick her up in my hundred thousand dollar Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, you know, roost Chris. And I'm sitting, we're sitting courtside at the Utah jazz basketball games. I'm spending, you know, $3,000 on a first date with a girl. I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to just play this part when really it was just like, I didn't love myself and I was screaming for validation. Yeah. I think that's, that's really deep. I think that that's something that so many of us do. Like you said, you weren't having those like conscious conversations, but looking for that external validation and living by these stories that we create in our heads and, and, you know, a lot of it from external, right? Like a lot of those stories are like learned behaviors or learned from other people. And we don't even have, we don't really learn. I feel like the, how to create our own story until we get to this point where it's like, this isn't working. This is not feeling right. Like you said, like you were looking for how to feel loved and how to show like you were worthy of love. And that's, that's really deep. And I think it's also really, really common with so many people in our journeys. Yeah. And like I was saying that I wasn't even aware of this. And so, you know, I, I, I fell victim to what I've coined as the success void. When I was 27, I was very much a victim of success void, which this, what the success void is, is on paper. If I were to hand you a resume, Caitlin, of mm-hmm. my life, if it was just on paper, you'd be like, wow, this guy's successful. He has a great job and drives a nice car and he has vacations and he has freedom and he's, yep. you know, doing cool things. And, you know, there was a time where I was dating the runner up to Miss USA and traveling first class and going, you know, traveling the world and going to every major sporting event. And I was in the suite, Dan Snyder, the Washington Redskins owner suite with Kevin Durant during a Super Bowl. Like I was Mm -hmm. living the life, but I felt deeply, deeply unfulfilled. Yeah. And, and, um, I remember there was this moment. I remember the first moment I kind of realized I was trying to seek something outside of me for validation Mm -hmm. was, Around that time I went to the Super Bowl, I was on a flight to New York to go to the NBA All-Star Game because mm-hmm. I'm a big sports guy. I love sports. And I remember thinking as I'm on my flight from Salt Lake City to New York, I remember thinking like the only reason I'm going to this game is so I can take a picture and post it on Instagram. Mm. And I'm like, this is like, what am I doing? And that was the first moment where I'm like, okay, what am I doing with my life? And that's when I was like my most miserable, depressed, unfulfilled version of myself. And it was just like, I got so caught up in seeking this external validation. And at that point, I didn't really know where to go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I think you kind of hit on like this idea, right? When we started about how um, you don't really love like the idea of like life coaches and how many there's out there. And even though, you know, my background is in mental health and addiction counseling and I push the holistic together, I always tell people like, that everything we need is, is within us. And then the other piece is like this manifesting piece. Cause we get so caught up and like, I don't want this to sound bad, but like the woo woo of manifesting. And it's like, I'm with you. I'm 100% right. With you. <laughs> and I think when you hit on the success void, it's so like, so important because I always ask people, okay, but why do you want that? Right. Why, yeah. why do you want that? What's behind that? What's the emotion that you're looking for? What are you trying to like satisfy within yourself? Because they are all emotions, right? Like you were 
like you said, trying to take that picture for Instagram because you're looking at like other people's external validation of that's how I'm going to feel love or that's how I'm going to be shown as respect. And it's like, you're not even showing up living your life and enjoying your life. You're chasing this idea of success and what society expects rather than being present in your life and actually enjoying it and moving through these emotions that you really desire. So I think that's a big piece that just made me think of that manifesting is. Yeah. So when you like in the, in the woo woo world on that note, Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're manifesting, what you're really saying is I'm not okay. So I'm going to manifest these things in my life because I think they will make me feel okay. There's no difference than being like spiritual and lighting your Palo Santo and writing manifestations under a full moon than the sales bro. That's like, I'm going to be the top salesman so I can buy the hundred thousand dollar Mercedes in my head. There's no difference. Yeah. Right. Because it's you're still thinking I'm not enough how I am, right? And I think if I can manifest and call in the energy and the vibes to get what I want, then it'll be okay. And I'm not saying don't set goals. Right. Right. I'm just saying, you know, learn to be okay no matter what happens outside. Yeah, I like that. I think that, you know, I think there's ways that people get to those different goals and and, and to each his own, but at the same time, there is that practical sense behind it. Like there has to be like, we are, whether you're looking at like we're spirits and we're souls, we're also humans. Like we are on earth, you know, however you're looking at it, like you do have to do these practical things to get you to where you're at. And I like that you said, you know, it's telling yourself you're not okay. Cause I tell a lot of, I I work with a lot of my clients about what's your lack. You're in the lack mentality when you're Mm -hmm. saying like, when I want this, I will, feel this, or I'll be successful yeah. when I have this, right? It's, it's definitely a lack mentality. And if you're in that lack mentality, then you're not showing yourself that you're good, how you are. Yeah. I would say, listen, like if you want, there's nothing wrong with wanting the Ferrari and the house mm-hmm. and the Hills and like having successful business. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. I'm saying get clear first, heal your trauma, heal your stories first, then go get it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. But as long as you're unhealed, the only thing you're trying to do in life is make you feel okay. Mm-hmm. All yeah. you're trying to do is get okay. Is you're trying to get calm inside. You're trying to get end these neurotic thoughts you have in your mind and this mm-hmm. co- this constant restlessness and anxiety in your head. So it's like, let's go heal that first. And when we do, then you can show up as the best version of yourself in your job, in your career, in your community, with your family, right? And so yeah. the true intention of my book was like, hey, this is my story. I was trying to get the outside world to fix my internal, internal. state, mm-hmm. right? But really, you know, your internal state dictates your external experience. So how can I align myself in a way that no matter what happens outside, right? I will still be calm, cool, full of love, enthusiasm, excitement, you know, positivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, working, like I said, my background is in mental health and addiction and working with addiction, a lot of times people are like, I'm addicted to alcohol or I'm addicted to porn or whatever it is. These addictions, they look at it externally, but it's not. I mean, that's why cross addiction works because they get addicted to one thing and it substitutes for another because it's those neurotic thoughts. It's the yeah. compulsion in the thought process. And so I think so many of us do this without labeling it as like an addiction, but we are trying to figure out these different things to heal that trauma. Totally. And I was 100% addicted addicted to external validation yeah. because really I thought that would fill the void of not, of not loving myself. Absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. I do yeah. want to ask you um, one piece in your journey really stuck out to me. Um, 
psychedelics and psychedelic yeah. ceremonies. Um, I think it, it's really interesting to me because it's definitely starting to get more legalized. I'm in Colorado. Um, so, you know, like psychedelics and mushrooms are becoming more legalized. I also mental health, they've been used before. There's kind of this idea. And so I have my own opinions about it, but I'm curious just kind of what that was like for you. Yeah, the psychedelic piece is very fragile, I would mm-hmm. say right now, right? Yeah. Um, I do want to make a claim that I'm not an expert, right? Yep. I'm not a medical professional and I can only speak from my experiences mm-hmm. um, because th- there is a lot of, there are there is risk in the psychedelic space. Absolutely. Right. And so um, I'm very lucky that I had resources and integration help to help me through my experiences. But when I first came across it, you know, growing up in Utah, mm-hmm. Mormon, conservative, right. right. You're taught that like every drug is basically methamphetamine. And if you do it one time, you'll be addicted <laughs> and you'll die and you'll be on the street and you'll be homeless. And then yeah. you know it's over. If you do, mm-hmm. if you do one drug once. Right. Yep. And so you're kind of just ingrained. That's like, just how this, that, you know, that's how, what society says. And so the first time I really, uh, where the game really changes, I was reading a book called Stealing Fire. And I think it's, yeah, it's just right back here on my bookshelf. But mm-hmm. um, the book's about flow state, like how to get into flow. And flow is basically when like you feel your best, you do your best, whether that's, you know, you're a musician in the pocket or a surfer in the wave or, you know, an athlete in the zone, you know, that's flow state. And so I'm like, oh, cool. This sounds great. I'll read this book. And it gets to a part in the book where they talk about psychedelics mm. and uh, my jaw literally dropped to the floor reading it because they quote, you know, there's two quotes that really stood out. The first one was from Tim Ferriss, who's like, you know, Mr. Personal Development himself yep. says, you know, every self-made billionaire I know actively participates in psychedelic experiences. And oh. then the second one was from Steve Jobs, who like Steve Jobs, like literally changed the world. Right. Said LSD was one of the most profound experiences of my entire life. Wow. And I'm like, what? Like, I was, I always, you know, put drugs as scandal and shame and addiction and bad, but like mm-hmm. people are talking about psychedelics, which is a completely different category in, in drugs mm-hmm. and claiming, you know, all these pods. So I started getting online and I'm starting to read all these studies about the positive effects of mushrooms with, in regards to anxiety and depression and whatnot. And literally within two weeks of starting my research and kind of opening up the psychedelic door as far as, uh, you know, browsing and understanding what these compounds do, I get offered a psychedelic substance at a party. Mm. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, I've never been offered psychedelics in my entire life. Two weeks after reading about them and being intrigued by them, I get offered them like what? Like, and so (laughs) 99.9 times out of a hundred, I would say no in that experience. But I remember at this party, I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to see what this is all about. Mm-hmm. And so I had my first experience on June 10th, 2017. And it was a very unique experience. It was very, it was a very uncommon experience. Um, but it completely blew the doors off my entire perceptions of reality. Like I was seeing and, and, and understanding and my mind was working completely different. And I was understanding trauma and healing and love and connection to God and like seeing energy and like really everything that I would never understand mm-hmm. or never, or thought was weird really came to life for me. And I remember, you know, when, as I like broke through and I was having this intense experience, one of my first thoughts was like, Oh shit, the hippies were right. 
Like <laughs> it is all about love and connection and we are all one and like mm-hmm. energies of the earth and like having a, I had an experience with, you know, mother earth and seeing her mm-hmm. soul. And then for the first time in my life, I felt the love of God or the creator. Mm-hmm. And that was completely changed. And that first night was so profound and left me so like upside down and in awe that it led me to continue my journey in the psychedelic space. And lucky for me of having really credible uh, contacts and resources that I trusted very much in the space. um, I was able to then work with some of the best facilitators in my opinion, in the world, in the psilocybin mushroom space and in the ayahuasca space and really between the combination of working with these, you know, very uh, strong compounds while also integrating therapy mm-hmm. as well afterwards, you know, I felt like I did a life's work of therapy in, you mm-hmm. know, two years. I basically took two years off of my life and really, you know, worked in, into these spaces. And um, what I was alluding to earlier in the conversation was I remember the first time I sat down with a therapist and she said to me, she's like, okay, well, what's your trauma? Mm. And I looked at her and I'm like, trauma. I'm like, I don't have any trauma. And she laughed. Ooh. And I'm like, no, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't offended, but it was kind of like, she's like, oh yeah, we'll see. We'll see, buddy. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have any mm-hmm. trauma because I was like this, you know, toxic masculine bro from Utah that had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I, and I had a great childhood, you know? And, um, and she's like, oh yeah, we'll see. And so then I eventually started after that conversation, I started working with ayahuasca. Mm. Um, which is, I think, one of the most profound, intense hallucinogenics, you know, psychedelic experiences done in a, in a ceremonial setting with a shaman. And working with ayahuasca really showed me that I'm like, oh shit, I'm actually really fucked up. I have a lot of trauma mm-hmm. um, in regards to my fat kid story. And, you know, and then really I, I pulled up some really deep rooted sexual abuse from when I was six mm. that I had suppressed so deeply. And so, a part of my book and my message is like, Hey, even though you might not think you have trauma, you have a story that's mm-hmm. still subconsciously guiding your life, whether you're aware of it or not. Yeah. Wow. That's really powerful. Your kind of just your journey with it is really interesting. Um, yeah, I do think it's a very touchy subject nowadays, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's really powerful. And I, I do like your disclaimer. Um, I also want to say, like, I think that, psychedelics is a very personal decision. And I think that Mm -hmm. like you touched on when you have a guide and resources is really powerful, very different to try to be doing that stuff on your own. So um, I would just word of caution and disclaimer there. Um, But I do think that, you know, bringing up that idea of what you said of, of we suppress things very deeply and having that come up and realizing that it does affect your life is kind of, I mean, it, it sounds like it's just kind of bringing up a new foundation. Like it shatters things when you, and I like that you said, like, you don't have any trauma. Cause I've had that experience with clients, um, especially in like the mental health and addiction where they're like, no, there's no reason that I use. And I'm like, uh, there's definitely a reason. <laughs> like, there's definitely a reason. yeah, we, we don't just yeah. do things for any reason. Um, and I think that, you know, the idea of trauma is so selective and personal as well, because, trauma, even like when we look at it from like a therapy standpoint of like what is identified as trauma and what like as far as like diagnoses is 
very different because some of the things that people identify as trauma that impact their lives substantially are not even diagnosed as trauma. So I think that you hit on that point of like, even if it's not seen as trauma to another person, it still is very much leading up and playing a huge role in your everyday life and your decisions. Totally. And I think one thing that's, that's happening a lot in our culture is we, we trauma, not, I don't want to use, not trauma shame. I'm trying to think of the better word, but like we, we Mm. discredit our trauma, meaning it's like, okay, I had this incident happen, but like my other friend, she got raped, you Mm -hmm. know, by her, you know, by her uncle multiple times, you know, and like, that's really, really intense. And it yeah. is, it's really, really intense, but it's like, because you almost compare it's like, well, mm-hmm. that didn't happen to me. Mine was not nearly as severe and that wasn't nearly as intense. And so like, I shouldn't, yeah. you know, I shouldn't play victim. I should just like toughen up and not worry about it, you know? And I think that happens a lot, but it's like, yeah, your trauma is valid. And I think we're mm-hmm. really, you know, what this whole conversation about it really ties to the Carl Jung quote, mm-hmm. where he says, until you make the subconscious conscious, it will guide your life and you'll call it fate. And the prime example with that for me, and I share this in the book was, you know, when I was six years old and this, and I, this, I uncovered this in in doing an ayahuasca ceremony, Mm -hmm. but when I was six years old, I was sexually abused by my best friend who was Mm -hmm. uh, seven or eight. He's, you know, a year or two older than me. And it wasn't malicious, Mm -hmm. um, but he was very, he was a curious kid. And a couple of times, you know, he would, he would, you know, pull my pants down and he, you know, he would abuse me. And, um, I remember having so much shame and guilt and sadness about that. And also feeling, and I didn't tell anyone, mm-hmm. I never told my mom, I never told my friend's mom. I just kept it this big secret. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, what's really, really profound was when he was 16, he got in a car accident and died. Wow. And I remember when I heard and found out my first feeling was relief Cause it was like, wow, now no one will ever know. Like no one will ever know the secret. It's literally gone to the grave. Cool. We're good. Cats out of the bag mm-hmm. gone. You know, it's, 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 it's buried away. And then in my ayahuasca session, as I was working with this medicine, it showed me how that's affected my life. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is in my, you know, elementary school, junior high and high school, and even into college, I was really good at making friends with girls. I was really good mm-hmm. at making platonic friendships with girls. Yeah. And, you know, and I had a close group of guy friends as well, but they'd always be like, you know, like, why do you have so many girlfriends? Like, what's the deal there? You know? Right. And in my head, I'm thinking like, well, you know, I have a twin sister. So like, maybe mm-hmm. I'm used to growing up with feminine energy. I don't know. But in this ayahuasca session, it revealed to me, it's like, Hey, the reason why you have so many girlfriends is because you have such huge walls up with men yeah. Because your very first best friend abused you and you've created a story that men aren't safe. Right. Right. Yep. And it showed, and I was like, oh my gosh, incredible breakthrough. Because I remember it would I replay these instances where I would meet new guys at a party or at an event. And I always kind of had my barrier up. Mm-hmm. And I would also, every time I'd make a new friend, I would always like slip in this phrase of like who I was dating or show them a girl of who I was hanging out with. And really what I'm saying to them is like, Hey, I'm not gay. So don't come on to me Mm. because my very first best friend out of the blue did that, did that to me. So like Mm -hmm. men aren't safe. Mm -hmm. And so working with a therapist and working with psychologists through this, it's like been the coolest thing ever. Cause it's like now the last couple of years of my life, it's like, Oh, I can go meet tons of new guy friends and it's Mm -hmm. not, you know, and it's not unsafe. 
Right. And it's like opened up this whole new world where it's like, oh, it's actually not weird or gay. That, that's a bad thing. But it's like, you're, you're safe to go make new guy friends. Yeah. And it's been like the greatest blessing. And that's a story that I never would have been able to connect have I not done this personal work. Yeah, I think that's that's amazing. And, and it kind of triggers something in me. I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense why I was like kind of guided to you of like to reach out. Um, you know, I think first of all, I want to touch on like that victim shaming and almost like trauma comparison piece. Um, I think that piece is, is really prevalent today. Um, and I always like to say like, somebody's always going to have it worse than you, right? Like there's always that idea, but it's diminishing yourself and diminishing your own experiences. If you're falling into like this own play and then you're basically gaslighting yourself, right? Cause mm-hmm. you're telling yourself like, you're not worthy of having those feelings. And I think that, like you said, what it does to us is incredible. Um, as far as like how it does intertwine in our lives. And, and I said, you kind of like triggered me in a sense because, um, I think that we get in this place too, of like, even where people will say things of like, so like your, your experience with, um, sexual abuse, like I was, I was sexually assaulted, um, as well, multiple different times. And, you know, I kind of got into this place of where I was like, oh, well, it's because I put myself in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And although that there's some truth that helped me accept and process it for myself, but in a very different way than like shaming myself, even like showing up and saying that I still have like people in my life. Like when I started the podcast, I share a little bit of my story in the very first episode. Um, and I actually had like a family member listen to it. And I said like, what do you think? And they were like, well, that was a lot to say. Mm. And I was like, ooh, that's a victim shame. You're shaming mm. me for sharing my story and, and showing up. But the whole point of this is when um, I started this podcast and started having guests on, I have only had female podcast guests. And mm. so the other day I was like, okay, I'm going to see like who I'd like to have on. And I started looking and I was like, okay, why am I only having female podcast guests? And I realized that I've created a very similar story of, I, you know, I was sexually assaulted by men. And so I, I created this similar story in that sense of men are unsafe. And mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, just show up and even like, you know, share that energetic space with somebody like when even on a podcast and share some of my story and share who I am. It, it doesn't make me feel good when it's men. And so I sat down and I made myself like really, sit in that discomfort. And oddly enough, um, the next five podcast guests are men. And so, um, it's just, yeah. And it, but I mean, it's powerful when we do that and really can catch those stories. Um, like you said, of, of even these underlying, like you said, like showing these guys like, Oh, this is who I'm dating because you're still living by that narration of, I mean, obviously not now, but still live, we're still living by that of men are unsafe. That's, it's a lot. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And it's just crazy how like, you know, the stories, and I talk so much about stories in my book, like how the stories we tell ourselves mm-hmm. literally guide our lives and we're so unconscious of them. Yeah. Incredibly. Right? And, and they really bleed into every aspect of our life mm-hmm. and they affect our friendships, our conversations, the people we talk to, our communities, our networks. And like, it's so deeply, deeply rooted. And that's the power of, you know, doing this personal work. And this isn't a plug for psychedelics. There's so many different ways to do right. this personal work, right? Mm-hmm. For me, you know, I work best with plant medicine, but whether it's, you know, finding therapists or psychologists or mm-hmm. working with, you know, like what you do with addiction and whatnot, mm-hmm. like 
there's so many beautiful ways to do this work. And really the intention of the whole book is to inspire those that read it to go uncover their subconscious story. Mm. Because once you can release these stories, it, it, it frees you. And, you know, and, and, and I want to tie in, tie this into is, you know, we talked about earlier is the self-love piece because mm-hmm. what this really ties into because, you know, so I, I, I'm on my journey here and I'm doing, you know, the plant medicine stuff and I'm like uncovering all these stories and my mind gets blown open into like trauma and like mm-hmm. I'm into the self-healing place. And it was just so life-changing for me. And along the way, um, I met a, I met a girl named mm-hmm. Lauren and I talked about her in my book and Lauren and I had been ten, friends for 10 years and we had a really close friendship. And, um, as I got into the self healing space and the psychedelic space, we started having experiences together. We kind of started doing our personal work together. And then we decided, you know, when one, you know, after a couple months of dating, it's like, we came together and we had this really, really powerful experience. And it was like, we were in on, a, you know, a secrets of the universe and we're like, oh my gosh, you're my person and I'm your person. And it's like, we had like this deep, powerful, transcending cosmic love. Mm-hmm. And for a short period of time, it was so beautiful. And I remember thinking like, oh, this is why people, you know, make write love songs. I'm like, oh, when people say, when you know, you know, and I'm like, okay, I get it now. I know. And it was like this beautiful experience because I was dealing with, you know, transitioning out of the Mormon faith. I was transitioning out of leaving my job. I was, you know, uh, dealing with the death of my father. I was dealing with my sexual abuse. And I had like this partner along the way. And then out of the blue, I'll never forget, I was in Alabama doing a sales training. And she called me and she just said, Hey, my soul is telling me we're not supposed to be in a romantic relationship anymore. Mm. And I was like, so confused and disoriented. And she broke up with me. And I remember like, like, what, like, do you not, do you not see what happened these last couple of months? Like, am I, was I living in a different world? Like, how can you deny this after we've had these such intense experiences? Like that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And I got to a really deep state of depression. And for the first time in my life, as I was had all of these other traumatic experiences pile on, and then you add in, you know, the breakup, mm-hmm. being dumped by the girl who you think is, you know, your soulmate and the future mother of your children. And for the first time in my life in 2018, I had suicidal thoughts. Mm. And I remember thinking like, it is so dark and scary in here that I just want relief. I just like, I need to, I need a breath. I need to be able yeah. to breathe and I can't breathe. And I'm ending my life is my ticket out of here. Yeah. And I remember when I initially had suicidal thoughts, um, I had shame about them. Mm. I'm like, why do I have suicidal thoughts? I'm being a pussy, you know, like I need a man up, you know, and that there was shame in that alone. Um, And as you know, so I started, so I went and, you know, one thing I did is I asked for help. I went and got professional help and, you know, diagnosing my stories. One thing that was profoundly such a breakthrough for me. I never forget. I was actually walking in the forest in Arkansas. I was doing another training at sales training in Arkansas. And I had this aha moment and I was like, Oh my gosh, I've outsourced all of my happiness to her. I put mm-hmm. her in charge of my happiness. Right. Yeah. And it was just overwhelming and suffocating for her. And I'm like, Oh, it's because I don't love myself and I needed mm-hmm. her love right. To fill that void. And I put all that pressure on. And so it's like, wow, I need to control what's controllable. And I can't, I can't control people. I can't control places or things, but I can control my effort, internal effort and my, you know, my psyche. So at that point is when I really started, you know, digging myself out of a hole. And that's, what's like, okay, I can control if I meditate, I can control if I work out, I can control if I uh, sleep eight hours, I control if I stay hydrated, I can control if I go to therapy, I can control if I journal. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm like, I need to learn to love myself. And so that's really what's the beginning of my journey of personal self-love. And, and on that note, you know, it took a long time. Mm-hmm. This isn't like a, this isn't like a weekend retreat and you decide yeah. to love yourself and you love yourself. And I'm still working on it, you know, yeah. but when I say self-love is a superpower, what I mean by that is when you truly, truly, truly love yourself, like actually love yourself, it's a superpower because you no longer seek or need, you don't need validation from others. Right. Right. And you don't, I mean, you'll always want validation. Validation feels good. Mm-hmm. We'll always want it. But you don't need it because you're filled yourself. But when you love yourself internally, it gives you permission and confidence to step out into the world as your truest, highest self, because you feel that, feel that fountain from within. So if you go out and fail and you, you have the confidence to try new things, whether you want to be a chef or a musician or start a business or whatever it may be and share your art with the world, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks because right. you don't need their validation. And we live in such a validation world. And so when I say it becomes a superpower, it literally breaks the chains that you're, you're holding you back. And so you can become the highest, best version of yourself. I love that. I think I'm just like absorbing kind of what you said. I think that I, I resonate so strongly with your story and um, notice like similarities in, in my story. I, I got in a slightly different, but I got in a very abusive relationship. And um, when that ended, I, and I got in a very dark space and became suicidal and attempted to take my own life. And I um, kind of took like, a, I took a year kind of, like you said, you took like two years off your life. I took a year off my life and I dove into like traditional therapy and IOP, which is intensive outpatient for those of you that are not familiar. Um, and then really like got into meditation and started working with like other teachers and, and kind of experiencing similar to, to your story and really did get to this place when I started going back to school and got into this place of realizing again, exactly what you said of, I don't have control of anything else in this world, but I have control of what I do and how I show up every day in my life. And so that's what I started focusing on. And and like you said, by having that focus, like I gave myself the power because we are, when you are looking for that external validation, you're giving all your power away. You're not leaving any of your power for yourself. And so you don't have the capacity to be working on loving yourself fully and showing up fully and focusing on how you're showing up and what you want to feel and, excuse me, and really being in a space present with yourself, which is so scary for so many of us because of those traumas and we don't process or deal with or don't want to see, but then we don't give ourselves the powers or the opportunity to really love ourselves and to grow and figure out like what we do want to do and how we do want to experience this life because it's a choice. Yeah, I think that was just really powerful what you said to, mm-hmm. to me. I think sharing it. it really reminds me of the quote from Joseph Campbell where it says, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Yeah. Right. Once mm-hmm. you can really address these traumas, really address these insecurities and learn to love yourself. And you have to face some really difficult things that are mm-hmm. uncomfortable. But once yeah. you face that cave and you get on the other side, it's that liberation mm-hmm. that you always thought was possible. And the thing that's so fascinating to me from my uh, analysis of what's going on is especially my own life is we deal with, you know, the the reason so many people are unhappy, anxiety, feeling anxious, depressed is because life isn't unfolding the way they think it's supposed to. Right. Right. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And so when you get used to life, not unfolding the way you you think it's supposed to, if you were to take a happiness scale on a one to 10, 
like you kind of sit around a five or a six, Yep. but because you sit around a five and a six for so long, you actually think that's the 10. Right. Right. And what's so cool when you do these personal work, when you break through and you feel liberated, you're like, holy shit, there's a seven, eight, nine, and 10 on this scale. Like what? Yeah. I didn't even know about this. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know it was possible to feel this good for no reason at all other than I'm alive. Yeah. I don't need a drug or alcohol or anything. I don't need a person. Like I've had moments. I remember, I'll never forget. I had this the first time I really felt it was I've been really in the thick of my personal work and I've been working on it and working on it and working on it and working on it and working on it. And I was living in Austin, Texas at the time. And I was walking home from the grocery store just on a normal, it was like a Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. And I was walking to the grocery store and I just had this immense amounts of joy and love and, you know, deep, deep love and expression just over flooding my whole body for no, I felt like I was high, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, what is this? Like, and it was just my natural state. Yep. It was just my very natural state. And I think, you know, one thing as humans at our very core, our natural state is love, connection, right? Confidence. Mm -hmm. But we have so many blockages inside of us that we need to remove. And once we remove them, right, we'll naturally be that way. And that was such a, such a cool experience for me. And that I hope I can share with others too, is once you do the work, there's a beautiful reward on side of the other cave. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think when I, um, noticed like, again, like that idea of like, I didn't have to depend on someone else and like experiencing like such a deep love with like my husband and, and just like in a very different way than I've ever experienced. And even for like no reason, like sitting on the couch, watching a movie that I, you know, that we've seen, like seeing that and just feeling the joy inside me. Like I remember thinking to myself, like, am I bipolar? Like, am I manic? Like, is am I supposed to be feeling like this much joy? Because you get so used to that, just like you said, being at that five. And just like, I always tell people, it's like checking off the boxes. I just check off what I'm supposed to do each day. And that's like living life. And it's not, it's no. not how we're supposed to experience it. It's, it's- I truly believe that the world is a very magical place, mm-hmm. you know, waiting for our senses to grow sharper. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah. And we're, we, we got dropped down on this incredible planet where we have music and, you know, cool landscapes, beaches and mountain ranges and animals and food and experiences and shapes. And, you know, it's really like we're on this, having this incredible experience mm-hmm. to participate in and, and really live a really beautiful life. But we're so stuck in this idea of how the world that needs to be in order for me to be happy. Yeah. And yeah. so we kind of just go through the motions of like trying to mm-hmm. fix everything to match, to make it match the way we want it to. But in reality, life has no obligation to be any way, right? And once you can remove your blockages and remove your trauma, remove your pain, you can get out into the experience and participate in life and just get such a deeper, more rich, rich experience of life. And that's really what I'm encouraging everyone to get out of the book. Yeah, I think that's amazing because we do, we really do create, I'm a very strong believer that we create our own suffering. We really do based on, like you said, just things not happening or playing out how we want them. And and going back to manifesting, like we were talking about it, that idea is so much of the time when things don't play out or manifest how we want them to, mm-hmm. we get so bogged down into what did not happen that we don't even see like the beautiful gifts that are in front of us. Like mm-hmm. you were talking about, it's easy yeah. to look over. Yeah. 
Life is happening for us, not to us, as our friend Tony Robbins says. Absolutely. That's a great quote. (laughs) So how do you use your intuition to fully live? What would you say? Yeah, I didn't have a relationship with my intuition. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't know what that was until after I kind of did it in this healing space. And I feel like one thing that has served me very, very well in my life is when I hear my intuition, I jump. Hmm. meaning I might get a crazy idea and I'm like, I'm, you know, I picture myself standing at the cliff and a mountain. I'm looking over the edge and I can't see the bottom and the intuition's like jump. And I'm like, shit, you know, and <laughs> yep. I jump, but I yep. jump, but I jump because right. it's proved in my life. When I listen to my intuition, things connect and things happen. That I couldn't ever possibly predict. Yeah. Right. And so what's really important is I think we need to get in touch with our intuition. And the way we do that is by eliminating the noise, right? And so you think about your intuition as like one of those old radios with an antenna and you have the dial and you're trying to find the right radio station. And there's a lot of static, mm-hmm. right? So when I sit down to meditate and quiet the noise of my life, right? I can get in tune with that radio station and get a clear message mm-hmm. because the thing that's um, interesting about the noise of life is that it's not bad, mm-hmm. right? Like, Right. We've got job and work and family and social media and, you know, entertainment and, you know, neighborhood stuff and community. Like, so there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. That's not bad, but right. we don't take a break to get back in touch yeah. because a lot of the times our intuition works very subtly. It's a, it's a whisper. It's a nudge. It's like a very like quiet tap on the shoulder. Where it's like, mm-hmm. Hey, look this way. Mm-hmm. But if we're so caught up in the noise, we miss it. So the way I work with my intuition to answer your question is I make time for silence every single day. Mm. right and it's 20 minutes minimum right and i like i like to do it first thing in the morning so i don't like to be rushed in the morning so i'll wake up in the morning i won't check my phone i'll do a pot of coffee and then i have what i have called an inspiration chair and i'll just sit and for 20 minutes watch kind of watch the sunrise i've got a beautiful view of the mountains and just kind of let these nudges kind of fall into place right and almost every single day i get an idea of something i need to do Mm. and i always take action right because it's really easy to have a cool idea for a business or for an app or like, Oh, I want to get back in better shape. Mm -hmm. But the big step people are missing is they're not taking action. Yeah. Right. So yes, it's important to tap into intuition, but more importantly, tapping into intuition is taking action and following up on what, what nudges you've gotten. Yeah. I love that. It's like, um, it makes me think of kind of the idea that people say knowledge is power, but knowledge is nothing. If you don't take any action, right. Exactly. You don't do anything with it. You're not changing your life at all. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree. That's very powerful. Um, One other thing I want to ask too, before we wrap up. So we've talked about kind of different ideas, like you said, the time of silence or, you know, like having control over working out and sleeping adequately and all these different things. But with that noise, it can be, we get in our head, we, right. We create that suffering. So how do you suggest that we incorporate these healthy habits into our life? Yeah, I think, you know, it, it sounds really, really silly because a lot of times you have a lot going on. Right. And people ask me, okay, what's the best? Like, where do I start? Like, I want to get in shape and I want to get into vision. I need a journal. I need to meditate. I know. And it's, it can be overwhelming. Right. And I say the first place to always start is sleep eight hours. Mm. Yeah. More than anything, I protect <laughs> my sleep more than anything. Because if I am sleep deprived, I'm grouchy. I'm not intuitive. I'm not sharp. It affects my personal relationships because I'm not engaging. Right. All I'm thinking about is then you start running off of caffeine. I'm very selective. I do one small cup of coffee a day early in the morning and I don't touch it again. 
because I don't want to affect my sleep. Because when, sure. but when I do, when I do feel well rested, like I, I try, I try and get 10 hours of sleep every night, minimum mm-hmm. eight. And if I can get 10, I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. And I block it off. I don't sleep with my phone in my room. Right. And I make sure I get 10 hours of sleep because if I feel well rested, my body feels healthy and recovered. I can now show up as my best self in my relationships, in my job, right. With my friends and I can be my very best self. So I really think playing all this back, right. It all starts with your sleep. Yeah, I agree with you. I think our sleep is something that we're very quick to give up, but is also extremely powerful and and is really when we give ourselves that time, right? To not be fully on because sometimes we can't, like you said, turn off, you know, all the noise. We're still trying to figure out how to go into our intuition and our subconscious has a little bit more free reign when we're sleeping. I agree. Perfect. Well, I feel like I could talk to you forever. I have so many more questions, but um, I want to be respectful of time of you and our listeners. So I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was such um, a privilege to talk with you today. Yeah, I had such a good time. And if those were looking for the book, you can jump on Amazon. It's Holy Shit, We're Alive by Doug Carwright. And you can also hit me up on Instagram at Doug underscore Carwright. And I actually usually respond to every single DM. So if you have a question, reach out to me and I'll respond. Awesome. I'm actually, I was just going to say, I'm going to put um, all that information and the link to the book um, in the episode notes so that they can just go right there and access it. I know I will be grabbing one. I'm very excited to read it. Um, but anyways, I wanted to say to our listeners, thank you so much for coming on um, and sh- sharing this time with us. I know your time is valuable. And I also want to say, please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Let us know what you want to hear, um, who you want to hear on. We always love the feedback. Uh, but more than anything, take care, guys. And I'll talk to you soon. And thanks again, Doug. Thank you. Thank you for hanging out with me on the Abundance Alchemist podcast. Don't forget to head over and grab your free self-love activation meditation at theabundancealchemist.com and hit subscribe here so you don't miss a thing. Until next time, sending you so much love.